Let's try this again. <clears throat> if you would open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy, 3rd chapter and the 12th verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. And uh, we're going to take just a few minutes to prepare to study God's Word. We're going to take a look at the coming persecution and how to prepare for the persecution that we are going to undergo. You might remember the context of 2 Timothy 3 starts off in the last days. Men will be, and then it lists 20 things that are identifying markers of the last days that seem to excel in those time frames. It says, in the last days they'll be holding the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And it starts to tell us about how these things will be spread throughout the, uh, throughout the last days. Now, last days, it's, it's been last days for a while, but now we know it's last because uh, the, it's clear. Everything, all the markers of the tribulation, the approach of the rapture, and everything else are coming into play. We're not going to date the rapture, so we're not going to head to the highest mountain with white robes. We're going to wait on the Lord to get us where we are, hopefully doing what we're supposed to be doing whenever he comes. But part of that is to meet together and assemble together to lift up praise to the Lord together and also to study the word together. So let's take this moment and clear away all the cobwebs and all the other stuff um, out of our souls just long enough to listen to what God's word has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again just for your amazing word. We thank you for the blessings and tests that you brought into our lives. Father, we thank you for the privilege of still being able to assemble in a free country. And Father, we, we know that's more and more under question anymore. But Father, we know that we are free in Christ and that's the big deal that really matters forevermore. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that we would be nourished and fed on your word this morning so we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Now, as we have gone through chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, again, the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, arguably, we find there's a form of godliness in the last days. We find one of the markers of the last days is people in high positions praying on the weak. We see that uh, they use intellectualism, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They had a whole lot of information, but not a whole lot of wisdom that goes with it, and certainly not any love that goes with it, and that's, that's a big problem. We see in verse 8 and 9 that they're master manipulators. Now that's what you expect out of Satan and his forces is figuring out how to manipulate people to get them to carry out their will. Now starting in verse 10, this is how do we handle the facades. How do we handle these, these uh, things that are a form of godliness? They look like the real thing, but they're really not. How do we go about doing it? In verse 10, he tells Timothy, which we're supposed to do as well, hang on. Hang, just hang on like he did. So part of perseverance and part of endurance is hanging on. I heard somebody say when you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. And then I also heard somebody say, and if you just let go, the Lord will take it over. And so it's argued both ways. You can have that uh, double argument there. 
Uh, verse 11, we saw last week, uh, the Lord will deliver you. The Lord will deliver you. And Timothy looked back at what's gone on in the past. Paul talks about it. He says, out of all these things that we went through, the Lord brought us here. He delivered us. He rescued us. He keeps us around as long as he wants us. And that's, the, that's kind of the bottom line. Now, verse 12, in typical Jewish fashion, he says, this is what's going to happen. The Lord's going to deliver you. And then he starts giving reasons. They often give the bottom line and then tell you why. And look at verse 12. Because he says, indeed, all who desire to live godly. Desire is the word thelo. It means it's an inner intention. It's a motivation. It's something that you want to do. To live godly, that's eusebos, uh, and it's a word that, that uh, looks at a godly manner. It's an adverb of manner that is being used there. In Christ Jesus, so he's talking about Christians. He's not talking about other people because everybody else will claim persecution. Will be persecuted. Now, that's a, that's a promise. I've never seen that one in a promise book anywhere. When you go get these books out of a a bookstore or something like that. Book of Promises. Okay, here's right up at the top. You will be persecuted. I don't see that on anybody's refrigerator. I don't see it on any of the magnets or anything like that. It's just not there. But this is the future tense. It's the way they state promises. He says, if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Indicative of that word mean it means it's a historical fact. Now, we got through the first five points last week that uh, to live in a godly manner is to devote your life to the Lord in thought, word, and deed. To give every single part of you to Him. And it's been taught all the way since um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It goes all the way back to the Mosaic Law. It goes back as far back as we can, as we can track it. Salvation, the deliverance from the penalties of eternity, calls us to live a godly life. That we, we are to do that, I believe, fully out of thanking God for what he did at salvation. If we realize what we have been truly delivered from, I think a lot of it, we just go through life kind of half asleep. We don't really know all the stuff he delivers us from. But I know some of us are working the... Uh, guardian angels overtime uh it's just the the way that happens but when we look back salvation being delivered from the penalty for sin guaranteed a place with the lord for all of eternity these things are written to you believe in the name of the lord jesus christ that you might know you have eternal life it's not wishful thinking it is a confident knowledge that goes with it and he said Okay, we know. Why do we know? Because we had faith in the only one that could save us. And he promised us eternal life. So, what should we do then? Live a life in accordance. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Do the things that God wants us to do. Paul said we make it our ambition to do that which is pleasing in his eyes. Now, how does the world do, do things? We saw in the early part of this chapter... In the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. It's all about self. It's all about uh, narcissism and how, what I can do to promote old number one. Persecution has promised a godly life. All the way back in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
We're promised the spiritual strength to endure it. Now, <clears throat> have you ever thought that you just couldn't make it anymore? I, I, I know sometimes things get rough. They seem to want to fall in on us. We just uh, don't know if we can get through another day yet. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. See, I put in 2 Timothy there, even if we're not, He is. Who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, beyond what you're able. So if you're facing the test, you're able to pass it by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your own strength. But some of these tests are going to require a reliance on the Lord Himself. That's what they require in order to get through it. And being able to pass it is talking about passing it spiritually as well. To pass it by realizing that, that your life is in God's hands. He says, you've been called for this, this purpose. He says, uh, he will provide the way of escape also that you might be able to endure it. Now the way of escape doesn't necessarily mean a window that they let you down through in a basket like they did Paul one time. That was one way of escape. But sometimes he didn't really escape that way, did he? Sometimes he was pulled in front of the crowd. One time he was taken to be beheaded. He didn't escape that one either, did he? But he did escape it spiritually. He didn't bow down to it at all. He handled the test and he handled it with, with flying colors. Endurance of persecution is viewed as undeserved suffering. So when we get this promise... We will be persecuted if you want to live godly in Jesus Christ. When we get this promise, it's undeserved suffering. And we get to experience then the grace of God from 1 Peter chapter 2. That's what we're called to do. So when it comes our way, and it will, it'll come sometimes in action, as it does in a lot of countries right now. I know in... Uh, various places around the world being a Christian is not safe especially openly being a Christian is not safe it can get you in a lot of a lot of trouble I know Bob's been in places and we've seen people get baptized and baptize some of them that they get cut out of the village they get ostracized they some of them get beaten uh, with with sticks and stones and all those type of things just to become a Christian We've got it really easy here. We don't know what most people in the world and in the history of the world have gone through to be a Christian. And <clears throat> that little book there on the back table about that came from VOM, that's a, quite a little book. Quite a little book that talks about various things that were observed over the course of 40 years out on the mission field. Now this is where we left off to handle persecution. First of all, pray for those that persecute you. Isn't that fun? Isn't that the way God does stuff? We think we've got it all worked out. and I think we'd much rather take our own revenge, wouldn't we? You know, somebody levels some word at you. You've got on a Christian t-shirt and you walk into Walmart and somebody sneers at you or something like that. And, and you just kind of want to sneer back, right? Uh, we had uh, Helen and I were on a plane one time to um, Delhi, India, and we got on a plane, and the plane was full of Muslims. And she'd never really 
had any taste of what what uh, persecution was like or anything else. And there was a couple of women two rows behind us while we were getting ready to get on the airplane. And this was for a 16-hour flight. Now, those are no fun any way you slice it. And they were back there, and they saw us, Americans, and they let out some of the the most evil looks at Helen. She usually hadn't noticed stuff like that. She picked up on it. And she said, we got 16 hours of this stuff that is getting, getting ready to happen. And um, that was just a taste. But that's just, that's a small thing. I mean, we've... We know people that were taking Bibles to people this last year and they were stopped by the villagers and they pulled the Bibles out and the little books that went with them and burned them all in the middle of the street while the police watched. Yeah, they were protected and the police watched. So pray for those who persecute you. What do you want to pray for them? Lord, get them. (laughs) That's the natural part of it, (laughs) isn't it? Now, you pray for their salvation. What greater victories are there to bring some that are so far away from the Lord into his presence? To introduce them. To be nice. To return good for evil and not evil for evil. To not take our own revenge. Pray for those people who persecute you. The next thing is to believe you're not forsaken. Because when you get persecution, it can real easy easily come to the point of going, well, has the Lord forgotten me? Has he heard any of my prayers? Is he going to respond to me? I mean, is he going to get me out of here? What is he going to do? Sometimes he does, and sometimes he lets you continue to go through it. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, We have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power of God may be of God of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We don't want to do this in just the strength of our own will. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. See what he's saying there? We've had the fool beat out of us, but we are not crushed. Perplexed. We don't know why we're going through all this stuff, but not despairing. Persecuted but not forsaken. you believe that? Lord said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you believe that? Is that part of your life? So no matter what you're going through, you know that, okay, he's got a plan for your life, and he's right there with you. Struck down, he says, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. And the life that the life of Jesus may be manifested in us. Our body. He said, I want to be like Christ. How did he handle it? And that's the way we've got to think. How did Jesus handle the persecution he went through? Because he went through it unlike any other human being will ever go through ever in their life. And he endured it. While being reviled, he did not revile in return, Peter writes. And that's, that's fascinating to think about. The next thing is endure the persecution. <clears throat> like the young man in World War II in the movie Unbroken, Zamperini, said, if I can take it, I can make it. If I can take it, I can make it. The sad thing about that film was that he got through primarily by his spiritual strength 
and faith in God. That's primarily how he got through. But what it was portrayed as was he got through by the strength of his own will. And it left out a lot of what could have been put in there. But he was a strong man spiritually. And so he was able to, able to take unbelievable, uh, undeserved suffering at the hands of the Japanese. If you've ever read anything about the Bataan Death March, it's one of the most ghastly things that has ever, ever happened at mankind fostering evil on mankind. It's hard to even imagine. Talk to people that were actually on that death march a long time ago. <clears throat> they don't want to talk about it at all. But when you read what happened, it's uh, how, how could people endure that? Why would they endure that? Well, strength of the human will is quite strong without question. But the way to endure it spiritually and not come out of it bitter beyond all recognition is to put it all in the hands of the Lord, which a lot of them did. So pray for those who persecute you. That's what. That's where we start. You know, if we started doing that, the rest of the all the other bad stuff we might do probably wouldn't happen. Believe that you're not forsaken. Endure the persecution. Devote your energy to Jesus Christ. Now see... How much energy is spent on being mad? Now, I know there's righteous indignation. I have, ex I have had a lot of it over the course of my life. Of course, a lot of it is not really righteous indignation. That's the problem. That's our, that's our iniquity of twisting the truth around a little bit to claim it's righteous when it's really not righteous. Because righteous indignation basically is about what people have, have said or done about God. And I'm righteously upset about what they're saying about Him. That's a righteous indignation. But even when it's righteous, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't take it to bed with you. Put it away. That's what we're called to do. And how do we do that? Now, did Paul have any reason to be bitter? You could say that. Philippians 3.14, one of those great passages, he said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I forget what lies behind. Okay, Good, bad, or ugly. I forget what lies behind and press on. Why? Because I've been called to a heavenly home and I've got rewards waiting for me. And I want to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the one that saved me. That's what I want to do. And then, <clears throat> direct your energy to the pursuit of peace and sanctification for all. Hebrews 12, 14. If we want the good commands, pursue peace with all men. Okay? That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That's salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the, without that sanctification of having put one's faith in Jesus Christ and being sanctified, they're not going to see the Lord. But we want to pursue that. So that's what it says. Pursue peace with all men. It's an attitude that we should have and something that we want to carry out. And then see that it's simple. Pray about it when you run into it. Believe that God hasn't left you out there all by your lonesome. Endure the persecution that you're going to face. Just say, I'm going to take it, whatever it is. 
Devote your energy to Jesus Christ and direct your energy to the pursuit of peace and sanctification for all or salvation for all. Don't be afraid of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to those who believe. Now in verse 13, once you get prepared for persecution, what is verse 13? Prepare for more persecution. Sometimes we face tests in life, <clears throat> and every now and then we pass one. And we pass one of these tests and go, okay, God, you can take the test away now. I passed it. It's kind of like a history test. And you pass the history test, and you're going, I don't have to pass that one ever again. That's what we do in school. Well, I've passed that test. Now I can move on to the next topic. But sometimes <clears throat> we pass a test in life, and it shows back up again. <laughs> comes right back. We're going to be tested about uh, the quest for fame, fortune, power, pleasure. We're going to be tested on those things all of our life. So just just prepare for it. And <clears throat> what's going to happen? Is it going to get any better? Now occasionally I hear people say, well, it's going to get better. But look at verse 13. But evil men. Evil men is the word paneros. Paneros is a word that in the Greek means to become evil. There are two words for evil, paneros and kakos. And kakos means it's evil in and of itself, all by itself. Paneros means that it is evil because it has become evil. Uh, I have, I've pulled this out before. I have a knife, you know, and Crocodile Dundee would say, that's not a knife. But this is, this is a knife. And is this knife evil? No. Is a gun evil? No. Can it become evil? Absolutely. That's paneros. See? And some people want us to try and believe that guns are inherently evil, and they're really not. We know that. But it says evil men, these are the wolves that he has warned about, that Paul warned about whenever he, when, he, when he sanctified the Ephesian elders and they graduated in Acts chapter 20. Savage wolves will rise up from among your own selves. And he says, evil men and imposters. Imposters is an interesting word. It's the word goes. G-O-E-S. Only place this word is used in the New Testament. And goes denotes a whaler. A whaler, it, it comes from the, a verb that means to wail. And hence, it is used to refer to the how in which spells were chanted. Okay, In the ancient world, what did this word mean? Okay, Well, they would set up a how, they would set up a chant as part of the evil and their expression of evil. And it would come out as a, as a how, but it is used... And it was done by a wizard or a sorcerer. So hence, it came to mean a juggler, a cheat, or an imposter. And it was possibly and probably the false teachers that referred to various magical arts. Sleight of hand. Where it says imposters here, they were just fakers. They were just fakers. They were phonies all the way. And what it is said in verse 5, holding to a form of godliness, but they've denied its power thereof. So he said, when he talks about these evil people and these 
phonies that are here, he says, uh, will proceed. Now, here's another future tense. Here's another promise. Now, in the last days, context, when does this happen? In the last days. Who's going to stand against them? Christians, hopefully, are going to be standing against all of these things. That's what we're going to do. What's going to happen? It says we'll proceed, and it uses the word prokopto. Now, kopto is a word means to cut, and pra means beforehand. And you put this together, uh, it, it was used back in verse 9 to make, make further prog- progress. But it, it, is, it is referring to the fact that those who know the signs of the last days will be able to identify the deceivers. If you're living in the last days, you'll be able to identify them. And it says, this word is used to say, even though they have been exposed and people know what they are, they're going to continue on their path. That's what copto, they continue to cut a path. And I picture cutting a path through the jungle with machetes. I mean, that basically is what it's talking about. It's saying they're going to keep moving forward. They're going to keep moving forward in the last days, no matter what you do to stand firm against all the schemes of the devil. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. Not that it, it's still a volitional decision on the part of everybody. God is not saying people have lost their ability to decide. What he's saying is that their decision making is still going to proceed on this course and they're going to continue to cut a path. Have you ever noticed how, how evil works? You know, they started off, um, what was it, 40, 50 years ago? They started uh, doing, uh, pushing things of immorality and trying to say, well, we go back to the 60s. What happened? The free love summer of the 60s and all this other stuff. And they started cutting a path, right? And they had some opposition. And the churches were in opposition. Then the churches started to embrace more and more of this. And they continued to cut a path. And the <clears throat> it's amazing some of the things that are out there right now. And they're trying to make acceptable. No matter who stands up against it. There's not any political solutions to these problems. None at all. We're not going to elect somebody who's going to fix it all. It's just not going to happen. Only Jesus Christ can fix the mess that the world is in today. And there are no, no others. See, it says it's going to proceed. They're going to continue to cut a path from bad to worse. Now, this is a, you see this little phrase here, Aistakiron is the word that is used here. Because this is not really a from bad to worse. It is idiomatic in the Greek. Ice means into. That's a preposition, ice means into. Ta is a definite article, into, the. And then chiron is a comparative adjective, which is worse. It says into the worse. Okay? So that's literally what it says. They will proceed into the worse. Bad to worse is the idiom. That's the way they translated it. But literally is they're, they're going to cut a path and it's going to get worse. And what is that path? How is it going to be cut? Deceiving. Now, have you ever noticed how politicians change their tune whenever an election is approaching? They may have held to one thing for a long period of time, but, oh, 
Now the election's approaching, and that's not a popular position. So suddenly, I'm going to become conservative, or suddenly I'm going to become liberal. Give them fair treatment there. Few of them become liberal along those lines. But as <clears throat> they keep saying, well, deceiving. I'll just lie about it huh, and get away with it. And then it says, look at this, and being deceived. One thing deceivers don't realize is they've been deceived too. They have been deceived into thinking that deception is the only way to get along in this life. They've been deceived into thinking survival of the fittest. And we've got to lie our way through life in order to survive. Now, this is the word planao. 12.9, Revelation 12.9, the present participle is used with a definite article. And it's used as the title of the devil the deceiver, the one deceiving. When a present participle is used as a noun, it looks at one that continues to keep on doing it, the deceiving one. So, <clears throat> the savage wolves are going to get worse. The savage wolves are going to get worse. And some of them have risen up within the church, just like Paul said they would in Acts chapter 20. Some have risen up within the church. The savage wolves and the magicians will get worse. Uh, <clears throat> what are they going to do? They want to chew up Christians. What are the savage wolves he's talking about trying to do? They want to chew up Christians. Why? Because they're assets in Christendom. And they would certainly like to have them, wouldn't they? And the wolves say, what can we do to make what they have ours? How can we go about doing that? And they use trickery. It's kind of like if you don't pay attention to some specific words in a contract you're getting ready to, to sign, you'll find out that, that you've been taken. I know that's never happened to anybody here, but it gets where you've got to pay very careful attention to every single word that is contained in a contract so that you don't have some scribe or Pharisee trying to get out of it through legality, so-called legalities. Now, <clears throat> they will get worse. <clears throat> Believers who know the truth along with the signs of the last days will be able to identify them and stay away. <clears throat> if you don't know what to look for, you don't know what's dangerous. And the only way you know what to look for is through the Word of God because it's the one with the authority. I think about an interview with uh, Billy Graham one time. I don't remember who the... Uh, it was a secular announcer that was doing the, the interviewing for NBC or ABC or somebody. And they asked him, he said... They asked Billy Graham, said, Well, do you believe there are charlatans out there in Christianity? Always looking for something wrong, see, to hang on around the neck. And Billy Graham said, Well, yeah. And then the guy said, Who? And Billy Graham said, very wise and cautious, he said, I know who they are, don't you? <laughs> so he didn't name anybody. He didn't stir up any, any problems. He said, I know who they are, don't you? Because they're pretty obvious to, to all. <clears throat> They'll deceive a lot of people including believers. 
they will deceive a lot of people, including believers. They've been deceived by the deceiver. See, the devil himself is, is no friend of ours at all. <clears throat> and notice, they descend deeper and deeper into evil. They go from bad to worse. Evil men and phonies will proceed from bad to worse. Do we think, you know, somebody is... Uh, the, the hypocrisy that's been exposed over the last few years in politics... Do you think that's going to get any better based on this verse? They've been exposed. They've been outed as utter hypocrites. And what do they do? Now we've got the phrase, well, they double down on the lie. They double down on the lie. And so it's all your fault. You'll notice that, that there are people in this world, the narcissists, who never did anything wrong in their whole life. It was always somebody else. And that's the way evolutionists think. Hmm. Survival of the fittest. Uh, it's got to be their fault. They believe that it is uh, at the least their envi- the environmental problems that caused them to make those decisions that they made. And by the way, we're just animals and we don't make decisions uh, from our own free will. We make decisions based on environmental stimulation. And so our, however it whatever's come into our life, whether it's bad potty training or whatever it has been through the course of our life, whatever it has been, that made me make this decision. I didn't make it. And they hang on to that. What is evil? That which opposes God is a real simple definition. That which opposes God. Someone who says God is not omniscient, that's evil. Blasphemy, in fact. If they say he's not sovereign, that's blasphemy. If they say that he's not righteous or just, he's not fair, that's blasphemy. If they say he's not love, which they frequently have done because he didn't do things the way I wanted him to do, that's blasphemy, folks. Those are direct statements in Scripture that says that's who he is. That's who he is. The great dragon was thrown down, Revelation 12. The middle verse is actually the book of Revelation. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Right in the middle of the book of Revelation is is the angelic conflict. The three middle verses of the book of Revelation is all about the angelic conflict. Interesting, in the Job 25, the middle verses of the book of Job also talks about the angelic conflict. Snuck in there, didn't it? <laughs> There's a battle going on between God and Satan. And Satan is the author of sin and evil. That's who he is. Now, in the last days, don't be deceived by the world's standards. Okay, that's what we saw in the first four verses. Don't be deceived by the world's standards. World standard says you got to be famous. World standard says you got to be rich. You got to have power. In fact, we're talking this morning. It's amazing that somehow power becomes more important than money. When people reach a certain point in their life that they have way more money than they know what to do with, power often becomes the driving force and motivation uh, in a person's life. Power and pleasure. Pleasure seeking. It's amazing some of the 
evil that is that has come out um, concerning um, sexual immorality on every scale imaginable. And um, anyway, the world standards, the intellectuals. Okay, this is in the context of chapter three. <clears throat> Got to watch out for intellectuals because they can deceive you. I find it interesting. Sometimes I I read things and it's like people are trying to impress me with the big words. They put the big words in there and oftentimes some big words have meaning and significance because they actually identify something. Uh, a lot of the medical terms we run into, they have a big long word and we go, oh, I can't even pronounce that. Every part of that word has got a meaning that goes with it. So those words are important. But some of the other words that are used to describe philosophical things, those are words just des- that are just designed to get us to skip over it and gloss over it and go on to the words we understand. So <clears throat> the intellectuals, they want to wow you with how much they know. Then the mystics. In this day and age in which we live is a new spirituality. It's a new spirituality. It uh, pushes the Bible aside. How do we know it's a new spirituality? They hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. We're going to push this Bible aside. Some of them hold it up and say, here's the Bible, I believe every word out of it. And then they never refer to it or open it again in their sermon. That's a problem. That's a problem because when you start pushing the Bible aside and you start uh, working on a positive mental attitude thinking type of, of mode, then you basically decide you're going to become God. If I can just believe this enough, then I can will this into existence and I am creative in the process. The mistake, the mystics, new spirituality that sets the Bible aside. And then the hucksters, the con men, just out and out con men of the last days. So he's saying, don't be deceived by these things because they're all of Satan. They come from the deceiver. So when we're handling the facades, the next thing we want to do in verse 14 Don't give in. So he said, things are going to get bad. Promise you will be persecuted. Next verse says, it's not going to stop. It's going to get worse. Okay, count on it. This thing says, hang on. Hang on. Don't quit. Don't give up. It says, you, however, continue. This word continue is the word minnow. You often see it translated as abide or live. That's what the word is used many, many times. And he's saying, make it your life. Make this your life. Let it be your life. Continue in the things you have learned. This is a little preposition. It could be in, with, or by is the way the preposition can be translated. You could say continue by the things you have learned as a means of. That which you have learned. And the word learned is montano. It's a word that means to learn as a disciple. See, it's not just something that you have intellectual knowledge of. Because a disciple is one who takes the knowledge and puts it into practice. That's what a disciple does. To be a disciple of Christ, you take the knowledge that you get from the Scripture 
and put it into practice. That's what we should want to do. We should want to live it. <clears throat> the things you have learned and become convinced of. Now, this word convinced of is a, it, it is pistao, P-I-S-T-O, long O. Pistao. It's the only place this word used in the New Testament. Now, pistos, the adjective for faith, it's used a lot. Pistos, the noun for faith, it's used a whole lot. Pistuo, the verb for faith, they're used a lot. This is the only place this word is used. And I believe what the word means, that where they translate it convinced of, it's been made a matter of faith. You're, you're convinced that something is accurate and true. Continue in the things you have learned as a disciple and become and made a matter of faith, knowing from whom you have learned them. The word knowing there is oida. And there's several words for know. This one means to know from experience. You know it intimately from experience. It is something that you have made a part of your life and that you're, that's the way you're going to live and die. That was what Paul... You know, they can they threaten me with... In Philippians, they, they, they say they're going to kill me. I said, yay, hallelujah. I get to go be with the Lord if they kill me. They, they didn't know what to do with Paul because death didn't scare him at all. So yeah, bring it on. If that's what if if it's my time, I'll be at home with the Lord. That'll be great. But if he wants me here, that's because he's got more for me to do with you. And I'm happy with either one of them. That's what contentment is about. Well, knowing from whom you've learned them. They learned them from Paul. Paul's been authenticated as an apostle <clears throat> by all the prophets in the early church. <coughs> they knew who he was. They knew what he was writing was scripture. I, they'll say they knew which books he wrote were scripture because he wrote two to the Corinthians that weren't. They got dis- they disappeared somewhere along the line. The two we have left are two out of the four that he wrote to the Corinthian church. But they weren't viewed and accepted by the prophets in that church as, as scripture. So they didn't keep them. But these are things he kept. So, okay, Timothy, you know, and I, I don't know if Timothy was one of the Ephesian elders that was there in, in, in Acts 20 or not. Very probably he was because he went out and became a traveling companion and went out and started teaching others. But Timothy uh, was warned about this and he knew about it. And he says, knowing from whom you've learned them. And he said... Timothy, you know me, you've watched me. So he knew that he was a legitimate messenger of God and that he had communicated accurately. And he said, and where did it all come from? Came from the Lord via the Holy Spirit. He said, you know where you learned them from. So three things are very clear so far in this chapter. Know the truth. How important is that to know the truth? We have to know what it is. Too many people are like Pilate. What is truth? What is truth? You have to know how truth is derived, how it is arrived at, how you can identify it. You have to have some basic apologetics in your life to know how can we know that this is truth. And when you do that, you come to understand that truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ before it's ever found in a concept. 
And if you don't realize that, then all the concepts can be twisted around. So why does the devil want to go after Jesus Christ? To discredit the truth. Didn't he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? That's, that was a claim that he made. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, who is the truth, how can you identify truth in the form of a concept uh, anywhere else properly? Only by guesswork, maybe. But you have to know the person of Christ. Next thing is turn from error. Turn from error. We find that all over the place. You find yourself following along in one of those 20 things earlier. You find yourself playing a game with Christianity. Holding to a form of godliness. Denying its power. You find yourself deceived by the con men. Change. Repent. Turn from it. And the next one. Live a confident life. You can. Because your faith is in the right object. And we might trip along the way, but we're supposed to get up and we're supposed to help one another get back up to lift up the hands that are weak and feeble. Hebrews 12:3. Lift them up. Help them along the way. We're called to work with one another. It's an interesting race we're in, isn't it? We're in this race together, but we're not trying to beat each other. You ever thought about that? Run the race to win? Okay, but I'm not running a race so I can outdo another Christian. I want that other Christian to cross the finish line with me. That's the way we run. What I want to beat is the devil <laughs> and all his forces. That's who I want to take out. I got a friend that says every now and then, he says, Oh, the stuff I've done in the past. And I said, Hey, guy, next time a devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Hey, that's the way you handle it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for all of your love and your grace and your mercy. And thank you for your amazing word. Father, we pray we'll be able to remember your word and be able to recall it in a way that we can use it wisely so you get all the honor and the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.